niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González Orlando, la torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas, Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón, Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección. Welcome back to the Peruvian Walks podcast. I am your host, Christopher Biscardo, joining you here from Lima, Peru. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Brian Brady. I did that on purpose. Uh, our, our the real Christopher Ricardo is here with us. How are you, Christopher? Uh, I'm doing well. As you can see, me and Peter are sporting our national team jerseys because we believe in Peru, not like other people that I know. All right. I, I know those ain't that me, but I I can't I couldn't find them. I was washing, so I am I'm the loser of the show today. Um, for now, I'll just I'll just have to step a little senior shirt on. So this is Shapoot came from. And Andy Panda, for the matter. Which, speaking of Andy Panda, we have some uh, chat related to him later today. Uh, Peter Galindo, how are you today? I am good. Also sporting the national team kit um, because I actually care about the national team, unlike Brian Birdie. Uh, I'm joking, of course. Um, I want to put the middle finger up to you, but let's keep it age restricted. Yeah, probably safe to say we should we should do that. Uh, if you don't have anything else to say, I guess we can begin. Uh, another another reason why I was probably going to support the national team jerseys because the under seventeen World Cup will be hosted here next year, and this is probably uh, it, it was probably a good idea to wear it because now we qualify for yet another World Cup and the other in the other seventeen World Cup and well this next under fifteen team it's not as exciting as the under twenty team or under seventeen team I, w- I would rather say not as exciting as the other twenty team that's coming up. And I do have a question for you guys in a second, but this is uh, definitely an under-17 side that could do something. Uh, I see more potential than the one 2005, the last time we hosted this tournament. And, well, I do want to ask you guys, did you guys are you guys happy with the under-17 World Cup? I mean, I, I, I'm guessing we're happy, but would you prefer this over the under-20 World Cup? I'll go to Christopher first. Uh, I think that it would have been nice to see an under-20 World Cup just because we already did an under-17 one, right? Uh, kind of show some progress uh, when it comes to infrastructure, but unfortunately, uh, even though it's been more than it's been more than ten years by the, by the time twenty nineteen hits, it's going to have been more than ten years. Um, we we unfortunately have not progressed uh, in building stadiums and keeping stadiums that are a professional level to hold such a tournament. So. Yeah, I would have preferred under 20, but at the same time, I am kind of glad that we have uh, under 17, especially because hopefully that means that the Peruvian government and the, the Peru Peruvian FA will hopefully invest a little bit more in our infrastructure. Well, I want to say I doubt that because if I'm not a politics guy, I don't want to say, but there is a bit of a politics problem going on in Peru right now. It literally just came up just like a few hours ago. But I, we're not going to discuss politics on here. I just want to say that the polit- right now, it proves a mess in politics at the moment. And, yeah, it's going to be hard. But on the bright side, it's it just the under-17 World Cup. We're not going to get millions of fans um, traveling to the country. We don't have to uh, completely change the stadiums, especially since we've already done the under-17 World Cup before. So, luckily, I don't think it's going to take a huge toll on it. Peter, what about you? Uh, will you prefer an under-20 World Cup? I think just for the stature of it and the fact that you kind of get, I don't want to say better players, but players who are maybe a little more professional ready, um, that would have been nice. But on the other hand, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this next, but in terms of the actual host country, of course, being Peru, 
and the quality of the team, I think having the under-17 World Cup is massive because this crop, which just participated in the U15 Sudamericano late last year, is very, very talented. And I think they could actually do something pretty decent, if not actually make a pretty good run in the tournament if they <clears throat> if these players actually continue on the trajectory that they're on. So from that point of view, I think it's perfectly fine. As Christopher said, uh, Peru has experience hosting this event before. And maybe, just maybe, either way, there might be small little touch-ups done to the to, to the stadiums. I doubt it, but at least there might be a bit of an excuse there. And speaking of the stadiums, that's what we want to discuss next. What would be the best? I'm gonna kind of translate this to Spanish to English, but how how would you um how would you see the best plazas, quote unquote, uh, basically the best places uh, for the under 17 World Cup? Lima has to be there. I think Lima has to be there no matter what because. Yeah. I mean, last time, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get guaranteed a crowd, but you have a lot of foreigners there. Most of the foreigners are living through our, our Lima, and that, it is a World Cup after all. And, yeah, there's also um, 10 million people there. And, well, you're not guaranteed crowds compared to everywhere else, but the final did fill up, it should be mentioned, in the last under-17 World Cup in uh, 2005. So it should be mentioned. Now, Chiclayo, Trujillo, Piura, Iquitos, and Pucallpa. Those would be my uh, those would be my plazas for this um, this Team World Cup. I'll explain them all for I'll explain them all uh, shortly, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, Christopher, I'll let you go first again. Well, I think that uh, Peru is a country from the from the where many different backgrounds and there are many different cultures meet, right? And because of that, we have also like different regions within the country, and I feel like. Uh, I think all regions should be uh, represented equally, meaning that we should hopefully have games not only on up north, somewhere like Buda, but also somewhere down south. Especially three, three or four places that I think that should not be overlooked: uh, Arequipa, Cusco, Tacna, and maybe even even Huancayo. Even though some of those are altitude and altitude sickness can be a problem. Uh, I think that they should at least be considered uh, also as host cities for, for the World Cup. Well, the only one I disagree with on there, like complete, like I disagree with Cusco and Arequipa, but the only one I think that can't be done is Juancayo. Just gonna, I mean, they have a good stadium and all, but they don't, they never guarantee a crowd. Oriente is never full, it's, or not even full. There's no, it's full of empty seats, rather said. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Peter, what, what do you think uh, your process for this one? I mean, I like Brian's mixture, but if I could maybe take or put one in, I guess. I mean, I don't know which one, one you would take out, but I do kind of like the fact that you evenly distribute it. I know travel might be a bit of an issue, but really I think FIFA pays for all the, the travel costs or the FAs do it, which, I mean, most of these FAs will, be, will have the finances to do that. So the one that Christopher mentioned that I actually would like to see is Thakna, just because you get north to south completely uh, filled up. And again, yeah, the altitude might become a problem. That's where it becomes troublesome because then certain regions and cities will be left out. I mean, it's unfortunate, but you know, there, there's not really much you can do about it because you don't want to give it too much of a discrepancy there. Yeah, now as for my opinion, because I did mention I was going through it, Chiclayo, Trujillo, and Buda did quite well the last time uh, the other 17 World Cup was here. The crowds were over 10,000 in attendance most of the time. Well, Lima was under 10,000 a lot of the time. And, yeah, for me, the two that have to be there is Iquitos and Pucallpa. Those are the only two that are obligatory. And Lima, of course. Those, those three, 
the only ones, only three that are obligatory, in my opinion. Hijitos of Bucalpan, the history of always bringing people to the ground. I mean, in the Segunda Division, Defensor San Alejandro, who, which are, they're quite a small club, even for Bucalpan level. Uh, they, 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 whenever the Second Division, they brought a lot of people to the ground. And the Sport Loreto still do it to this day. They did it in the Primera Division, they still do it now. So I think that they, Bucalpan has to be there. Iquitos is no different either. So they both have big grounds and they both, the, uh, the people, they, they, they're going to guarantee attendances. So I think that this, those two uh, uh, have to be on there for me. So, Peter, what do you think on um, these things? What, what would be your reasoning, aside from TACNAF, what would your, be your reasoning for the other ones? And Christopher, I'll go to you after that. Well, I mean, Lima's obvious. It's the capital. It's, I mean, that's where everything is, right? I mean, everybody's saying how Lima-centric Peru is, but let's be honest, what country isn't kind of tailored to the capital? It's just the way it is. Um, Germany. Yeah, true. I guess Germany is probably the one, except but Germany is just weird. Let, let, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> Germany's strangely efficiently weird about things. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I mean, the, the only real like arguments I can really think of is just, I mean, I don't know too much about the actual quality of the stadiums and whatnot, but I mean, having a you know a city like Buda up, up there in the north, because you have the north represented Lima, obviously with the capital. I like Trujillo. I think Trujillo is often overlooked a little bit. Um, it's kind of in the middle ish, right? But uh, a lot of teams there. It's <coughs> excuse me, a region that's that is quite uh, popular when it comes to football as well. And Tacna, as I mentioned, because it's in the south, but. I, I mean, look, you you want to make sure everybody is – like that the entire country, apart from maybe obviously those cities with altitude, are well represented because part of hosting an event is showing off the country and its culture and basically how beautiful it is. So if they can get everybody or at least every region involved, the better it is. Christopher, what would be your reasoning? So, so with with what just with what Peter just said, I mean, I agree with him, and that is why I insist that we need to find some kind of compromise and hopefully have at least one Andean city in there. Mm-hmm. Coming personally from from an Andean city myself, what as to this altitude, uh, it is high, but it's still manageable. So, whether obviously I would not say what as should be one of the host cities, but I think Arequipa or Cusco uh, or even to a lesser extent, Huancayo can be potential Andean uh, cities. And also with Tacna, another thing that comes to mind is that, uh, well, we don't know. Obviously, Chile still needs to play and qualify. But if assuming that Chile does have a good uh, qualifying tournament and they do qualify to the World Cup, then the, the amount of people from Chile there would probably go to Tacna to watch their national team. I think that cannot be underestimated, considering that people from Iquique and that area already have a lot of contact with Tacna and with the border. That's a good point. Yep, and uh, I did want to say that I do think Huaraz is actually a good uh, market for the under-17 World Cup. The problem with Huaraz is I believe they don't have an airport. So that, that kind of We do have out. an airport. We do. I did not know that. I thought it was the it's, not, but it's, a, it's a small one, but, but we do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, 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 that makes that changes everything then, but... Yeah, I know one car doesn't have an airport, but Jauja does, so that, that that's that's mm-hmm. close enough, I think. 
And yeah, uh, I I do think that I do think that uh, those are the, the only ones I don't really want to see is Adekipa because Adekipa's had too many chances in these tournaments and they've never uh, they've never really taken advantage of. It. I think in the Copa America, the one we hosted in two thousand four, I think there was one game where Brazil was playing Adekipa and no one went. I mean, they've had too many chances. Like enough, they have they have infrastructure, yeah, but you you guarantee no people. I mean, Melgar. Melgar is literally the only thing that brings people. Even that, they don't fill up that much. They only fill up uh, when port matches. So it's kind of a hard one. Although, granted, it is kind of hard to fill up the stadium. And it's a big ground. It is. Especially for a Peruvian league game. But, I mean, Brazil versus – I forget who it was. But it was Brazil versus someone. And no one went. Uh, I don't have the attendance number off my top of my head. Yeah, but, but, but at the same time, since Arequipa has kind of gained some protagonism in, in Peruvian soccer – for sure, uh, the the national team player friendly, and nobody expected Arequipa Stadium to fill up, and it actually did. So things well, might have changed a little bit. Yeah, I think I think with Peru it's a bit different. I mean, the Arequipeños are always going for independence, but I think for Peru uh, it is a little bit different. If we're looking at uh, other teams, they just don't care. I think it's that simple. And Cusco will be. In, I think Cusco is one that I would definitely accept if it was a World Cup. But this is the under-17 World Cup, which is different, just because Machu Picchu is there and it's a big attraction. So anyways, uh, before we move on to the players itself, I didn't want to say that uh, – I didn't want to say hello to people in the chat. We have four comments, which to record for this part of the pod. So thank you for everyone. First, uh, Victor Lopez, first time I see you. Peruvian football news in English, great idea. He also said, Trujillo needs training fields, except Manisha Stadium. The other ones are a complete disaster. Which I'm taking a word for it because Victor Lopez, he actually lives in Trujillo. I recognize the name. He does a lot of Copa Peru work as well as Sewan Davies' own work. So shout out to you. And uh, yeah, Trujillo, Manucci is definitely the only one that I've, I've noticed. Uh, the other ones I've seen are very good. And also, I, uh, I can't forget Absalon News, who was also in the last part with us. He said, You guys are overlooking, or look, overlooking Puno, Cusco, and Cerro Pasco. We're going to take advantage from our weather. Uh, I don't know about Cerro Pasco, but Puno would be a good option if they have a better ground because they do guarantee crowds a lot of the time. But I think it's just way too high for uh, our, uh, for anyone liking. So, and he also said Chile will not qualify. They have nothing in sight. The goal generation is done. They openly admit it. Could be true. The under-17 World Cup they hosted two years ago, they did terribly. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I know nothing about the Chileans under-15s at the moment, but judging from the last tournament, they did not, they're not very good. So I can definitely agree there. Anyways, let's go to the under 15 squad. Uh, why don't you, why don't Peter, why don't Peter, why don't you start with this uh, section right here? Uh, the under 15 squad or the under 17 World Squad World Cup squad that we're gonna have is gonna be the under 15s. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think of that under 15s? What are a few players you remember from it? And I'll, I'll add on to it afterwards. So. Yeah, well, the one player that I think was drawing a lot of rave reviews even before the tournament started was Carlos Ruiz, and it continued into the Sudamericano Sub-15 because of the reason that, excuse me, he was, you know, he, he was pretty much their main scoring threat, and he's drawing tons of praise at Sporting Cristal, and he really is you know, drawing comparisons to, I mean, some of the, I mean, in a way he is actually kind of different to the typical Peruvian number nine or to the typical Peruvian forward because he's a little bit faster, more technically gifted, maybe has a little more of an eye for goal. He's probably the one player I would look at as being probably the main player to watch for from a Peruvian point of view. 
Um, the other ones who actually did pretty well in, in the Peru's run to, I believe it was the semifinals and lost to Argentina um, in that tournament. The other ones were uh, Yuri Alceli of uh, Cantolao. He was one. Um, uh, Sebastian uh, Cavero of Alianza was another. And this national team was kind of a mixture of Cristal talents and Alianza talents. A few Cantolao and San Martin mixed in there as well, but those are probably the two teams that were the most represented. Big shock because, of course, their academies have big pedigrees. But yeah, those are probably a few of the players that I remember seeing and being very impressed by. But especially Ruiz, who, Brian, uh, you actually wrote a scouting report on. And if you guys want to check out a little more about him, then go to the website and find it because it is actually quite an insightful read. Carlos Ruiz is an interesting player. He, uh, I like him a lot. I saw him in the Centenario a few times last year. I have not seen him in Federacion. I've only seen him in Centenario. And he's a very good player. He's very interesting. He's uh, not from Lima. He's from Iquitos, actually. And uh, he moved to Lima with Duncos to play for Cristal. So he's one to watch for the future. I, I like him a lot, personally. And uh, Sebastian Quevedo is another one, yeah. Now, as for the players that you have not mentioned, uh, one player who's really impactful in the last under-15s, and I have seen him at youth level a few times, is Jose Waiwa, under under 15 uh, Universidad player in 2002. He played really well in the last tournament. He's the one that has a he's the one that has the headband and the crazy and not the crazy hair, but like the, the longish hair. I'm trying to think of an example. There there was one player who I can think of in Europe. Um, maybe Gareth Bell as uh, an example. It, it kind of looks like his hair, but yeah, he was um he was very impactful in the last under 15s and I. Uh, he's very even very good in the Federacion. Actually, this weekend I, I just saw him play and uh, he scored two goals. So he's he's still keeping it up. He's one of the best players in the current setup at the moment. Uh, another player, uh, the brilliantly named Osama bin Laden Jimenez Lopez, who I have not I have not seen yet. I have not seen yet, but I've heard good things about him. I've heard good things about him. We'll just refer him to Osama Jimenez. That's what everyone is trying to refer him as because no one wants to call him by his real name. So. Poor, poor lad. He's going to definitely change his name when he turns 18. There have been interviews. You've got to feel bad for him how he asks his dad why he called him that. And his dad always tries to avoid talking about the topic and he gets bullied at school and stuff. So I, I got to feel bad for the lad. But if he can play, that's what, if he can play, then he can play. So there is uh, no, there's no exceptions there. Now, as for the keepers, Massimo Sandi and Ian Mila. Uh, Massimo Sandi, I've seen a few times. Pretty good. He's the captain. He's the captain of the team. So he's definitely not coming off. There's Ian Mia, who I really don't like, but there's he's there. Uh, there's a, there's actually a keeper I also wrote about that I am going to come um, come talk about in a second that should be in the national team, but it's not. And uh, lastly, there is uh, the two players that are not on the national team that are I think are interesting: Stefano Laya and Ernesto Senso. Stefano Laya is Categoria 2003, so he's one year younger than uh, most of these players. And I think he's – I've seen him once only, and he looks like he could be interesting. He plays for Cantolao. He's a winger. Uh, he, actually, he can play anywhere in attack. It's not just a winger, but he's um, he's an interesting player. He's quite fast, good at dribbling. That's what I remember from I haven't seen him in a while, but he looked like he can be interesting for sure. And the other player is Ernesto Senso, who is a really, really good keeper. He's 15 years old. He plays with the under-18s. He plays in the Copa Peru with the adults. And he's one of the best keepers, the best young keepers I've seen. But for some reason, Ahmed doesn't like him. Why? I think it's because he plays for Regatas. Because Ahmed only likes players that play for La U, Alianza, Cristal, Catulao, and San Martin. And that's it. He doesn't call up anyone from even EGB. I mean, Piero Vivanco was one player that should have been in the other 17. Wasn't. 
there's not a few a few other Hibbert players who have been on and they aren't on so it makes no sense to me so yeah like, like i always try to stress if the manager doesn't like him or the coordinator doesn't like this player that's all that matters doesn't matter how many people like him but if this guy doesn't like him then it doesn't matter i think alexander kayens is a prime example of that oh yeah so i'll go to christopher what do you think on this uh on this under 17 team and our 15 team that uh, we have currently well, I think uh, I, I would agree with some of the names that you guys have said. Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't. Uh, there's no other names to, that would stand out uh, other than what you have mentioned. I think the only comment that I would like to add would be that obviously their trial by fire will be at the South American uh, tournament uh, that will be coming up a few months before the World Cup. Because even though they are qualified automatically yeah. as hosts, they need to show that they're actually going to be able to compete and what better practice than to know that you're already qualified and that all you have to do out there is to give your best. Yeah, but they won't play the tournament. They'll play friendlies instead. So that that will be the... Uh, they, the they, they will probably play the tournament. I'm not sure, but we'll see. Maybe maybe they will. Maybe there's a change. But, Peter, is there anything else you'd like to add before we move on? No, I think we're good. We could probably move on to the next thing. Okay. So let's talk about uh, Red Tiraso versus Antonio Plata. It's going to be kind of brief because uh, it just won the Libertadores match, but we have to talk about it because we haven't talked about it yet. Thoughts on the match? I'm going to go to Christopher first. Well, yeah, I mean, we we kind of saw it happening. Like we said at the very beginning, uh, when we started doing some previews uh, regarding Libertadores, um, I don't know, they just, uh, Real García just just got, just got destroyed, really. Uh, there wasn't anything that, in my mind that was really highlight. I'm trying to think about it, too, as, as we're talking about it, just because it's been... I feel, it feels like it's been a, forever ago since that match happened. But it, it does, really doesn't just, it? It does, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, like, I can just remember that my overall impression was just that, like, okay, you know, the, we knew that this was going to happen. Obviously, it wasn't as bad, right, as we as I kind of expected it to be. So that's that's a compliment. But Real Garcilaso's key, if they want to, if they want to move on to the next stage, it will continue to be to be strong at home. I think that Garcilaso have they kind of lost rhythm in the match, in my opinion, because I mean they were all. I think I always thought they were going to lose. I thought that from the start, okay, we have to accept that Garcilaso are probably going to lose here. But I do want to say that once the game in the game it started hailing around the 56 minutes. I think they kind of distracted them because uh, they after the hail came back on, they immediately conceded one. And that's all it took because they were kind of defending. They were kind of sitting back throughout the match, uh, waiting to waiting to make sure, maybe get a counter, maybe get a goal. But they were, for the most part, they, they were happy with the draw. And they, they conceded that first goal. And basically, they just fell apart from that first goal because, I mean, their, their, back, their game plan was pretty much finished. So they had to get a, they had to get a tie. And that... Um, didn't work out for them because they conceded two more, and I think they they kind of lost rhythm because of that hail. The wrath that they uh, conceded, so it was kind of a harsh one. Peter, what do you think of the match? I know you had a few comments on this one. I did. Um, the hail probably did play a part because let's be honest, you know, you're playing a match and then all of a sudden, bam, just a bunch of hail comes down. It's heavy rain for a couple minutes and then it finally dissipates. Um, that's going to, I think, affect the players' mentality. Um, especially when you have to abruptly stop, come back on the pitch without really much of a warm up, and then you just got to start up again, right? It's it, it's going to 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 play a factor, but I mean, 
I feel like the scoreline for Estudiantes was not indicative completely of the match because I feel like the first half, you know, Garcilaso had chances to counter and is, for some reason didn't really take them. Like there was space to run into. Um, they could have really exploited them and they didn't, um, which I found very surprising. And then I thought that once Gustavo Duranto got hurt and he, you know, he's thankfully that knee injury is is not serious. He actually, I think he tweeted himself that he was only going to be out for 10 days and he's back next week. So that's good news. But after he left after the first half, the match completely changed defensively, especially for Garcia Lasso, because he was everywhere, just getting to every single ball, winning tackles. Um, after the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought that Santien was not the the strongest on that flank, and I feel like Estudiantes were really targeting it, but Duranto was coming over and helping him out, um, and he was massive. And then once he went off, it's kind of funny because his replacement, uh, Lojas, ended up kind of conceding, well, he literally headed it into Milano's path for the first goal, uh, and he really did not have a great second half in general. So I feel like once he went off, then that was pretty much it for Garcilaso, and so, so be it. Yeah, Duranto's. I wouldn't say he was brilliant, but he was he was good. He was very good. Uh, he was very good in the, in the first half, and he was thought he was making a lot of good tackles. And yeah, um, Garcilaso, Garcilaso, I thought were poor, and there was also that stupid penalty call that they really they really could have avoided because it was it was a clear penalty. It was it was a clear elbow. I don't know what Santiano's thinking there. He was asking for trouble. That was the match, but Garcia saw a bit of national at home next. They should be winning that, so I think they'll be back in the qualifying uh, qualifying position very soon. So yeah, I guess we could talk about uh, before we move on to proof friendlies. Why don't we talk a bit about the Segunda División, which is starting, I believe, next week? So Christopher, you are, or I don't know if I'd say you're our Segunda División expert, but you you're you're like. I don't want to say middle of the road because then I sound arrogant, but you're you're one of our experts, okay? You're one of our experts. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your kind compliments. Let me let me just let me just take it from here. <laughs> so so basically, um my my, my home team is Sporankash and Sporankash was in the Segunda Division for years and years and years. And the fact of them being in the Segunda Division so long made it so that I became kind of a natural fan of Segunda División. I think we are going to have a really interesting tournament. We have six, maybe even seven teams from the north side of Peru and all from the coast, right? And there's a lot of regional rivalries in there, especially uh, Universidad Cesar Vallejo versus uh, Carlos um, Carlos Manucci, right? Uh, that are basically cross-town rivals, right? One older than the other. Uh, I think that's that's going to be really interesting. We have Atletico Grau also kind of up, up north a little bit. Uh, we had some. We've, we're starting to have a few of their of their matches now as they're preparing themselves more seriously for the Segunda División tournament. Uh, first of all, uh, Alianza played against Unión Guaral, right? Alianza won two to one with two goals of my my favorite um, Posito. Obviously, who, uh, <laughs> you have to that. who made the game for for Alianza? Uh, Union Guaral to me is kind of a, like a middle of the road team, honestly. Uh, other than that, um, yeah, I think I think that was kind of probably the the, the, the most important match. There was a few more, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Walgayok. No, no Walgayok, but Alfredo Salinas surprisingly lost at home against. Um, a Copa Minera. Division. Forza Minera, right? 
yeah. which that was, that was definitely a surprise. That was definitely a surprise for me. I'll, I'll go on to that later, but that was a surprise mm -hmm. for me. And Cinciano Martin as well. Oh, that's right. And Cinciano lost. No, no, they won. They won. They won. They won. They won. Yeah. All right. I was I wasn't very aware of that game. But Alfredo Salinas is known for being a team that's from a small town in Cusco, and they are way high up. They're very, high, very high up. Right? Higher and than La Paz. Higher, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, they, that is kind of their stronghold. But Unión Minera, Alfredo Minera, is a team that is also from another city in Copa Peru. It's also very high up, and they completely, well, they didn't destroy them. They won 1-0, which was still pretty surprising, right? Which shows you that, their biggest advantage is that altitude, especially against those teams that are going to be coming from the coast. It's going to be tough for them to to kind of uh, hold hold to their to their ground. But other than that, they kind of just show that maybe they don't have much else going on for them, unfortunately. Now, I do, before we go to Peter, I do want to uh, mention Victor Lopez's comment, who, which I highly agree with. It kind of basically highlights my next point. I dislike the Vallejo management, the owners of Cunha family, but they're the favorites in this tournament. Cinciano and Manucci are the other candidates. And Ferro Salino would be the outsider, which I totally agree with. Cinciano and Cesar Vallejo are going to be fighting it out, in my opinion. Cinciano have built a very strong side of players like Walter Ibanez, uh, Mario Villasanti. There's a few of the players from last year, although a few of the players also left, like Aeson Cuncho and Rui Palomino. So there's a few players that have left. Uh, there's another guy who they signed, I can't remember. I think Checho Ibarra is the manager right now. For Cienciano, yeah. Cesar Vallejo is definitely the favorite of the tournament. They kept most of their team from last year, as, as well as signed a few other players like Alexander Wally Sanchez, who I, I honestly think they, they, they should walk this tournament for the most, or at least the league table, they should walk it. I don't know if they're going to win the, the playoff because that, that's a whole different that's a whole different beast from um, a league table. So... Which I think is a great idea. The playoffs. We've already discussed that before, but I think it's a great idea. The playoffs because of the corruption issues that we we had last year in the Super Division. And Manucci, I, I can't say I know a whole lot about them, but I know that they have a very good under twenty keeper named Pedro Diaz, who is one of the best under twenty, well, probably the best under twenty keeper right now that Peru has. There's Oscar Noronha as well. There is uh, uh, Mister Cuadra. Mister Cuadra is there. Uh, he's kind of getting on now, but I think for the Super Division, he still do. He still do well. I mean, look at Johan Fano, who was a 40 years old, and he did brilliantly last year. So it, it's kind of something that with experience will do well. And one of the things I'm looking most forward to in the Segunda Vision is uh, which young players are going to shine in this one. Because uh, there's always this, a few young players, there's a revelation that comes out from the Segunda Vision and does brilliantly. Uh, a few seasons ago, uh, Alexi Gomez, Jose Manzanera also made his name here. Um, there's another one, Sandro Rajifo, who is doing really well in the Primera Vision. I'm sure Christopher can preach about that. And yeah, those are a few. Those are a few uh, of my. Those are my candidates now. As for Flo Salinas, uh, like Christopher said, they're a stronghold at home because they're very difficult to beat uh, in Espinada, and they've got some good players. Uh, Jerson, I, I don't remember them all, but I remember Jerson by that is their is their keeper who I honestly didn't think I honestly when he played. I don't know why he was benched for Julio Leaga or Steven Rivadaneira either. It didn't make any sense to me. So, Peter, what is your opinion on this on this one? Um, I mean, I think the obvious choice here is to go with Cesar Vallejo just because, I mean, as Brian said, they kept most of their team from last year. They built on it. I mean, along with them and Sport Boys, I mean, obviously they fought till the bitter end last year and probably could have actually ended up winning promotion, but boys ended up getting it. Um, so for me, they're the favorite. But 
you know, one team that I think really intrigues me, and it's only because that, you know, you have this playoff system where it's maybe a little bit more even in that way, or maybe a little more unpredictable, let's say. Um, <clears throat> I mean, a little bit of a, of a backstory. So my father and his family were born and raised in Chiclayo. I know we're Caucasian. That's kind of weird, but that was the case. And so they were Juan Aldrich fans growing up. And of course them getting relegated was, you know, kind of a disaster for them. The family was kind of like, Oh, well this sucks for obvious reasons, but they intrigue me because they have the young squad, which I think will appeal to a few people. Um, they bring in Carlos Cortijo, who's, who's kind of a bit of a promotion expert, did it with uh, Deportivo Municipal, uh, Comerciantes. Um, so they're bringing him in to maybe hopefully get them straight back up. Um, that maybe is a bit iffy, but at least they'll give themselves a chance. And, I mean, they bring in Wilmer Aguirre. They got uh, Eckhart Rosales. Aguirre isn't there. Aguirre isn't there. Okay. Then yeah, Joel, Joel Herrera is there. Joel Herrera. Yeah, Joel Herrera is there. Right. I think that's who I was mistaking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th they are a bit of an intriguing side in that way just because, you know, at least off the pitch they did everything right. But, again, with the fact that, you know, you have seven teams getting into this playoff, it's going to make things very interesting, but certainly an angle to watch for me. Yeah, uh, Oviedo leaving Juan Aris was the worst thing that could have happened for them, but at the same time, the best thing that could have happened to prove in football. So it was um, sort of a hard one, but I do think that's a very good point. Uh, Carlo Cortijo, I did not even know he was a Juan Aris, so that's that's a good point there. He's kind of a promotion expert as of late, and yeah, uh, at least let go for me. I don't think they're going to do nothing. I think they're going to finish mid table with a blow, and that's going to be that. So I think them and the Caimanes and Salta Pacamay are going to be the three worst uh, northern teams. And yeah, there's nothing more, there's not much just to say. Uh, if there's anyone else I wanted to mention, Sport Loreto could uh, could bother some teams. I, do, I don't think they'll go up, but they could possibly finish in the top seven. So uh, they're another team that might be able to do something. And I think they'll get out as well. They've, uh, they don't have, they, I don't, I've seen them make some reinforcements. I don't think they'll be too strong, but I think they should have enough to maybe make a playoff spot. So I'm not going to put you guys in the spot for this time and ask who you're going to make the playoffs. But I just, I'm just going to ask who are your three favorites. Minor is Cesar Vallejo, Cinciano, and third is kind of a tough one. But I'm going to say maybe Alfredo Salinas just because of their home advantage and how, uh, how, how good they've reinforced for their standards. So I'm going to say them. So, uh, Christopher, who are your favorites? Well, to me, Cienciano, Cienciano must come back. They, they need to come back. To me, I think Cienciano is the ultimate favorite. Other than that, also Carlos uh, Manucci uh, and Cesar Vallejo. One of, one of the two Trujillo teams will probably fight it out till the end also. And Peter, how about you? I got the exact same thing as Christopher for pretty much the reasons we've all said. But I feel like the favorite to probably end up dominating the league could be Cesar Vallejo. Okay, so uh, that that will do it for the Sunday Now let's move on to the Peru friendlies, the last bit we will talk about, and we're going to be on here. For, we're going to be here for a little bit. So, uh, so we kind of we kind of discussed this with Brian Bundy uh, two weeks back. Uh, Peter's here now, so and we got the call ups. Oh, oh we got the call ups two weeks. Why well, I, I completely forgot about that, but uh, we we have we have more information, and the, the lineup is it's going to be a bit different. Rodriguez looks like he's not going to be starting. Neither is Ramos. And, uh, yeah, who would you like to see as the replacement? Uh, there's three options. There's Santa Maria, there's Abraham, and Alapo. If you have to leave one of them, who would you leave out? Peter, I'll go to you first. I, 
and the only I know this is very harsh because he's actually done really really well for himself in Argentina. I probably leave out Abram because I feel like if both of those, you know, if Rodriguez and Ramos are both out, then Santa Maria is the left-sided center back along with Luis Abram and Araujo would probably be on the right. So it, and because he's kind of the only option to play on the right-hand side, I go Santa Maria and Araujo just because Santa Maria for me in Mexico has just completely exceeded expectations. He has been really, really brilliant. And I think the one thing that I think could also maybe help the team, especially against Croatia, a team who really likes to control possession and dictate the tempo in midfield, Santa Maria's distribution has really improved a lot with Puebla. And I think that that would be very interesting to see, whereas Abraham is a little more no-nonsense in that regard. Um, of course, if you want the like-for-like replacement with Rodriguez more so, then I think maybe you go with Abraham. But me personally, Santa Maria Araujo as the center-back pairing. I agree with that as well. I think that uh, Santa Maria and uh, Araujo have to be it because the two center backs will be starting. Rodriguez might make it, but I know Ramos isn't going to. So because he was at the bench for Veracruz uh, in the last game because of an injury issue, I believe. And I believe he's not going to make it. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's a shame, but we do have to try the guys. These aren't friendlies after all. So it's, not, it's a no risk. Uh, and on Croatia side of things, Modric is probably not going to make the game either. Which I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I kind of want to see the full Peru team against the full Croatia, but uh, just because it's a friendly. But uh, yeah, he, he, apparently he's not going to make it either. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. And um, I'd like to see Advincula as well. I want to see how Advincula does against the more attacking based teams. So far, we've only seen them against teams that want to sit back, like New Zealand and Bolivia. So this is, and of course, the earlier stage of was against Colombia. But I don't count those because that was a completely different uh, era than uh, what we're seeing now. That was back when Vargas Pizarro were still there. So it's kind of, it was different. Christopher, what is your opinion on this? Well, anyways, uh, I was I was actually going to say uh, Avram, actually, just because I feel like he, he probably would be a better fit. Uh, obviously, he, he has four games with the national teams compared to Santa Maria's two. Uh, that, that doesn't mean a lot, but I feel like his coach at Vélez has really pushed them, right? really try to help them improve in this last little bit. And obviously we know that Gareca has a connection with Vélez. And so he's probably have, has been following him very, very closely just because of that. Um, so to me, to me, I think that even though Santa Maria, there's a lot of good things about him. I think uh, Abraham and obviously Araujo, even though he hasn't, I don't think Araujo has been doing great at Alianza Lima either, but, uh, but considering kind of like the way that Gareca usually thinks, uh, I think that those are going to be the two the two centers. Um, now, was there another question <laughs> on top no, of that? No, no. <laughs> um, I actually forgot myself, but uh, I did want to mention one thing, and it's kind of uh, kind of off topic, but it's still related to the national team. Uh, I haven't seen rumors about Heidel Concha being called up, so Christopher's prediction is on the way. So there's, there you go. And, um, yeah, Arsenal News says Abraham can also play his left back and he's playing under league tiers above Mexico. Abraham will definitely go to the World Cup. I agree with that. Uh, Abraham should be the backup to Trauco. He should be the Aldo Corso to uh, Luis, uh, Luis Arincula, in my opinion. Okay, so Aldo Corso is more defensive on the right uh, than Luis Arincula is. There's Abraham who is more defensive than Trauco is. So I think that, that fits uh, style perfectly. You could have... Advincula play on one side and then Abraham on the other if you want to play a more offensive game or vice versa of course so and um yeah I wanted I personally want to see 
Santa Maria and uh, Araujo. I kind of started there for a second, but I want to see both of them. And yeah, now we can move on to the midfield. Midfield is going to be Yadun Tapia, most likely. That's what we saw. Would you guys like to see Aquino here? What do you think? Peter, what do you, you go first? Uh, I mean, yes, but the thing is, you know, look, I'm sure Gadeka is going to want to see as much of his first team as he possibly can from the very start against Croatia. Because, you know, one big factor I think that will also contribute to this as well is Tapia is not playing a lot and he's going to want to make sure that his match fitness is as optimal as it can be. So he'll want, so, so those two reasons combined, I feel, give him the edge. And I'm totally fine with that. Uh, I'd be cool seeing Pedro Aquino as well. That's kind of the, benefit to having two very good players in that position is that you don't really have that big of a drop in quality. But I think for at least the start of the match, I think Tapia is, is the one to go with just so that he at least gets some minutes under his belt. Yeah, no, uh, that was actually one of my reasons. Uh, I, it kind of slipped my head for a second, but uh, I'm still kind of torn on who I want to start, Aquino or Tapia uh, in general, because I, I, I'm a big Aquino fan, as you know. But Tapia has been there since the whole qualifiers. They want, they want to gel him completely into the side for the future, for the um, for the Capitan del Futuro, the whole that whole thing that's going on, mm-hmm. and uh, how he has potential to be that. So I think it's a good idea. I still think Aquino is better defensively, but uh, Tapia is more balanced, and it's, he's not far off defensively either. He's done really well in some matches. And there's a two who I think is irreplaceable, at least for now, anyways. Uh, Christopher, what do, what would you what do you think about this? Do you, do you want to prefer to see Aquino, Tapia, or do you have someone else in mind for Yutun or Tapia, uh, Aquino, vice versa? No, I think Yutun is irreplaceable, uh, just like you you just mentioned. As for Tapia, that we like, I would agree one hundred percent with what Peter just said. Also, that that he's not getting a lot of minutes in his club, but obviously, I think that he has earned himself a spot in the national team, and that he will be. Uh, part of Gareca's main squad, and as such, he needs as much playing time as possible between now and the beginning of the World Cup. So, yeah, I would be surprised if I did not see Tapia. Yep, okay, so there's not much to say. There's just two players we're going to talk about there. So now here comes the tough one, uh, the attack. Now, I think Flores and Puebla should be playing. I think those two, for me, are locked in. Now, the other ones are kind of the complicated ones. The striker could be Ruidias or Farfan, and the right wing could be Carrillo or Hurtado. That's the way I view it. Or maybe even Farfan on the right. You never know. Uh, I prefer Hurtado 100 times over Carrillo, who is having his chance. He's had his chance at both Watford and the national team. He's not taking them. So I think while Carrillo, you could use the same argument that Carrillo isn't playing for Watford, the same argument we used for Tapia. But I do think that Carrillo hasn't really earned his spot, whereas Tapia has kind of just been unlucky because of the managerial decisions. But I think Carrillo has been more lazy than anything. And besides, Hurtado is getting a lot more stats than Carrillo had in Portugal. He's getting a lot more goals, getting a lot more assists. I know it doesn't really matter much, but Carrillo, I mean, Hurtado can do what Carrillo can do, not as well, but he can still he can still do call, put a lot of damage on the right. And I think that that's what matters the most. I mean, Carrillo is going to wreak havoc on the right, yeah. But, I mean, if you, it's not going to result in anything, then what does it matter? So, uh, if it, it only matters if it's going to result in an important play. That's the way I see it. And as for the striker, I still prefer to see Farfan over Ruiz Diaz. I still think Ruiz Diaz doesn't really fit the style. Uh, I like him, 
but I still think that like I still think that uh, Farfan needs to play with Ruiz Diaz or Ruiz Diaz not at all. That's the way I think of I think because I think Ruiz Diaz plays a lot better for the national team when he's accompanied by another line. Uh, Peter, what do you think on this? So on the Carrillo or Hurtado uh, sort of dilemma, shall we say? Don't forget that Hurtado is also getting a lot of those goals and assists as a central playmaker for Vitoria de Guimaraes, which I think needs to be really stressed. Now, I will also say that in his appearances on the right wing as a substitute, he's actually done very, very well for Peru. He scored, of course, that decisive goal against Ecuador in, in Quito, as no one will ever forget that. Um, uh, can I just interrupt you for a second? Uh, I, yeah. I, I just keep – hold that thought. I, I, I didn't want to mention that Hurtado is a player I've always liked in the national team. I liked him back when he was in Marcariana. When I thought he had potential, I thought he was a good player, and nothing has changed. I mean, he was taken off the national team for a while, but once he got back, he took his chance. And yeah, he's a player I've always liked since. I remember since he scored that goal against Venezuela. I mean, that was the match where he got eliminated from the 2014 World Cup. When he when he scored that goal for Venezuela, I thought he had a terrific match, even though Peru was shambolic that day. So I thought he I thought he was very good. And yeah, nothing has changed. I, I I'm a big fan of Ortal. Uh, keep on what were you saying, Peter. Sorry for interrupting you. No, no problem. Um, it, it is tough for me because I do want to reward him, but at the same time, I just don't feel like Carrillo is going to lose his spot. And in a way, that's good because he needs to play, and I'm sure he's probably going to end up being the first choice pretty much regardless of what happens with his club form or just his overall demeanor and what, whatever it happens to be. Um, and as frustrating as he can be, he does have to play, right? And for that reason, I'd be fine with it. Besides, there are two friendlies. You can always take him out at halftime if he isn't doing well, throw in Rutalo for the second half, whatever you want to do. Christian Benevente is also an option for that right wing. He cut inside and combined with Guela, um, which I think would be absolutely amazing to watch. He did that for Peru in the in his appearances in 2016. It was pretty decent, it must be said. And then as for the forward, I mean, again, either one would be fine, but I feel like if you're going to play with either Farfan or Ruidias, the same thing has to apply you have to keep the ball on the ground. I constantly see Lokomotiv Moscow lumping up these balls in the air to Farfan, who can't be more than five feet, nine inches tall. I might even be a bit generous on, on that. Um, but you have to keep the ball on the ground. And the one thing I will say about Ruidias is recently he's actually been a little bit more involved in the build-up play for Monarcas. We've seen in the last two games he's assisted a goal for Diego Valdez. Um, he's dropped deep to collect the ball and invo been involved in the build-up play. I wonder if maybe that changes a little bit with the national team. Uh, but I'd be fine with either one starting, provided they keep the ball on the ground and they play that you know usual one-touch, quick possession football that we're all used to. Well, uh, Laouhi was more than just a poacher. Uh, Laouhi was, I mean, he was the goal scorer that he, he'd been at Monarcas, but he was more he was more of a build-up player. But granted, that wasn't a Peruvian league, so maybe when he took the step up, it was it was a little difficult, more difficult to do. His uh his his biggest trait was always goal scoring, and that was always the most important trait. So maybe maybe he's uh, been training a lot, a bit more to do it. I thought in the New Zealand match he showed more than just that. I thought he was terrific in the dribble, and yeah, he's um uh maybe we can try him. Maybe we can put him on as a sub and try him or try him from the start and see how he does. I, I hope he can learn it soon because he's 27 now and he only has three goals for Peru, which is quite, quite poor if you consider his goal scoring record elsewhere. But I don't think he's been terrible for the national team. He's had some very important moments. So uh, the Venezuela goal and the Brazil goal are the two prime examples. <laughs> Christopher, what do you think on this one? Well, so 
my my biggest beef with 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 um, Carrillo, and I've I mentioned it multiple times, is, is the lack of of goals, right? And I understand that Urtelo has been scoring them from a different position, yet to me that shows that the fact that he's having minutes, the fact that he's scoring goals, I think that is overwhelming evidence that Gareca cannot ignore. Uh, like Peter said, I would agree. That I mean, it all like there's two games, right? So it doesn't mean that you can have one on one game and then have one in the other. They have a little bit of different styles. I can kind of see Carrillo probably playing against Croatia, right, where he needs to destroy that defense, right. But then I can see Hurtado showing himself really, really well against Iceland. Um, so, to me, if I was Gareca, that's kind of what I would have in mind, right? It's not like. I, I think that position is not locked up for the World Cup like uh, the case of uh, Tapia, for example, where we know that he needs minutes because more than likely he will be there, especially because Carrillo left halfway through the qualifying process and then came back, you know, and he, he hasn't been that solid, even though he, he's been there when we have needed him. Um, I think Benavente needs to obviously get some get some minutes. Uh, as for Beto da Silva, I I don't really care if he gets minutes or not. I don't think it's that important right now. You know, I don't think he's that relevant to the conversation right now. I think he's going to be probably more important in the next generation of Peruvian soccer. It's good that we're including him, but I think Benavente is someone that's obviously worked really hard and that I want to say Gareca owns him uh, some some minutes with the national team. And also something I mentioned a few weeks ago that, that we skipped all the way at the beginning would be that I would like to see the other two goalies get some minutes too. Yeah, uh, I, I, think, I was about to mention that. Uh, that, was, that was going to be my next question. Who would be your starting goalkeeper for this one, Christopher, uh, no, while you're uh, at that? Obviously, Galese is our starting goalkeeper. Uh, He's injured, of course. So, therefore, we're going to go with Caseda. Casada showed himself in those two games in qualifiers against Ecuador and against Bolivia, and I think that he he sh he has to do at least one of the games, right? Especially pro probably more than likely against Croatia. But then on the second game against I Iceland, uh, I would like to see both. I obviously, uh, honestly, like Carvalho, Carvalho and Duarte. Uh, Gareca has done it once in the past where he's given uh, two goalies, kind of one half each. Uh, I think. It would be really interesting to see what Duarte can do in 45 minutes if he can really show himself. I think that would be really good for him. Now, I I am not a fan of Casada at all. Uh, I've preached about that too many times in the past, but I still would like to see him in one of the games to see if he can replicate that performance he had against Ecuador. I thought against Bolivia was terrible, but against Ecuador he was quite confident. He was in this net. He wasn't making too many mistakes in rushing out and. I thought it was quite good. I, I want to see it again to see if he does it for the national team. Because at club level, I've mentioned this so many times. He is a donkey, and I really don't. Uh, I really don't want to see him um, too much. I prefer to see Duarte more because Duarte is not one to consider a donkey. And he, he's been quite well for San Martin. I uh, can see him being a very important goalkeeper in the future, possibly Peru's next goalkeeper after Galese. Although I'm, I'm saying that would be 2026. To be honest, I can see Galese taking another, another cycle. And as for as for uh, Carvalho, I don't want to see him in either of the games because I mean I, I like Carvalho. I'm a big fan of Carvalho, but he's not had a very good season at all. He's looks so insecure this season. And yeah, those that, that, those are my thoughts. Uh, 
I think it's better out. Kamal's 31 years old too, so it's not really the future. I think he's kind of just there for backup. I don't really care if I see him or not. Peter, what about you? Before we end the pod, uh, I'll get your opinions on the keeper. And I guess I guess who else you can like should get minutes? Yeah, Christopher uh, mentioned it before us. Sure. Um, so for the goalkeepers, look, Casada is the number two, whatever. I mean, he is a very shaky goalkeeper at club level. There's no denying that. Uh, the Bolivia game, he of course had that terrible mistake where he conceded the goal. Um, but in Ecuador, very, very strong after that. And I think because he's the number two and because Gareca has established him as such, he will and I think deserves to get the start regardless. Um, but I do hope that Duarte does actually play the second half. And don't forget, goalkeepers do tend to only play one half and then they, you know, replace that goalkeeper for the second. Um, I'm, I assume Duarte will get minutes. I'm sure he didn't call him up for no reason. Um, and I would be very interested to see how he does just because I think he's a very exciting goalkeeper, not the tallest, but makes up for it with his agility, with his command of the area. I'm very interested to see how he does against two World Cup quality opponents. Uh, if he happens to play both games. Um, so that's one area. Another player who I really hope does get minutes, I mean, I mentioned Benevente, that's obvious, but I really want to see Roberto Ciuccio get on the pitch at some point, just because, and I wrote about this for the Proving Waltz website, if you guys want to check it out, I kind of wrote about the four call-ups and what we can expect from them, the four new guys. Um, Ciuccio, I feel like, has a lot of parallels to Edison Flores, uh, crown jewel of the academy for his age group, did very, very well when he was young. Uh, frustrating, inconsistent for Lau, at least at some points. But Gareca took in Flores in the national team in 2016. Uh, and Flores admitted, he just gave, you know, Gareca gave me confidence. And that's what spurred me on. And he made me believe in my abilities. And I feel like Siucho needs some of that. If Siucho gets that confidence and Gareca kind of, you know, puts that arm around him and says, okay, here's what you need to do and this and that. Um, not to mention, I mean, he sat next to Jefferson Fanfan on the plane. I'm sure that helped. He's going to soak in some advice there. Um, hopefully the good stuff, not the bad stuff. Um, <laughs> do not get into his bad habits. That's probably the only piece of advice that would probably help him. Happen um, to Jordi Reina. Happen yes, to exactly. Actually, perfect example to uh, on who to not become. Uh, but yeah, like I really hope Sutra does play because I feel like if we see him on the pitch, we'll actually see if Gareca's work has paid off with him thus far. Because he's been in the camp for at least a week or two now, of course, because he plays in, in, in the Decentralizado, so he joined camp early. Um, it would be very intriguing to see how he does, even after a couple of weeks of, of, of Gareca coaching him. Yep, I, I agree with that. And uh, if you guys don't have anything else to say, I think we can end the pod there because I think we've uh, used up we we saw some we saw like seven minutes, but we've we've covered all the topics that we need to cover. So my uh, Twitter is b underscore bertie ninety eight. Uh, what about you, Christopher? I am Christopher Viscardo at v i z underscore f c. How about you, Peter? As always at Galindo PW, um, and also follow the Twitter account at Peru Waltz. Correct at underscore Peru Waltz underscore. <laughs> yes, <laughs> can't forget the underscores. <laughs> no, just not, just not Peru Waltz. Just not Peru Waltz. So while on that, that is, that is the account Peter manages. I, I do log on sometimes uh, for some of the news that are team of the week. But most most of the time, Peter manages. I, I'm more of the Facebook manager. Uh, I just wanted to get that out because most people think that I'm the I uh, I, I do all the uh, Twitter accounts. Got to get the credit of Peter because he does it all. Most of it, anyways. 
So anyways, that was the part. Thank you guys for listening and we are signing off. Orubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.